The Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast, your favorite podcast, the only Sixers podcast, is brought to you by the Paul Green Rock Academy, the official music school of the process. And SeatGeek, get 10 bucks off your first order with promo code RTRS. Off season, off season. Um, Sixers aren't playing. The uh, rest of the NBA is, so we will we'll check in on the playoffs, which I was shocked to learn are still going on. Um, we'll do that in Around the League with Ish Smith. We will look ahead to free agency once again. Here we are again, free agency, except this time the Sixers have the free agents and uh, a lot of great Lorenzo Brown mailbag questions. And there was a Brian Colangelo relationship advice question from the last one that involves fly the process that I wanted to get into. Uh, so we'll do that as well. Without any further ado, here is Run the Jewels. We are the murderers there. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have powder to push. Now I smoke pounds of the push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Welcome to the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy who has already been offered a max salary at five different places, Mike Levin. I'm going to Detroit, baby. Oh, well, that seems unlikely. No, it's not. Yeah. Not likely at all. No. All right. Off season. We yeah, here we are. Say. Yeah. We're going to talk about maybe the Bucks Raptors series. And yeah. Be salty about that. Yeah, sure. Are, are, why don't we, are you, like, so it looked like after the first two games that the Bucks were going to run away with it. I still think they win it in six. Did, uh, did watching Toronto tie it up and watching the Bucks sort of be vulnerable make you frustrated that the Sixers weren't playing? Uh, yeah. It did. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up, yeah. I think the Sixers are better than both of those teams. I think they have the most talent. I think they were gelling in a bunch of ways. If I, I tweeted this, but if Embiid was healthy, they win that. They win that series in six, and I think they beat Milwaukee in six. I yes, Embiid was still a plus ninety, but that was like on with his lung, like in his like knee, and like shitting, like shitting shit the whole series. Mm-hmm. Basically, so imagine how the plus minus if he was healthy. Uh, if he was if he was shitting his lung, if instead he was shitting, of shitting regularly and breathing out of proper lung <laughs> lung capacity. I, yeah, I just don't think that those teams are as good. I mean, I look at Milwaukee and I see I, I've I've thought they were vulnerable all season long. Obviously, they're a good team. Obviously, they're very well coached. Obviously, Giannis is amazing. But I just am not scared of any of those other guys. Like, no, yeah. like none of them. And Toronto is a really good defensive team that's rotating really well against against Milwaukee, and Kawhi can stick Giannis one on one for the most part, and uh, and they're hanging in the series now. Now it's two two. I think, I just think the Sixers, if if things had shaken out, either a healthy Embiid or a even. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is. I mean, I wonder how many podcasts in a row we're going to say this, but even remotely playable backup <laughs> center. Uh, then I think they win this series, and it's uh, we're in the conference finals. It'd be you know, it'd be a lot. It'd be stressful. I'd be angry here and there. I'm 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 pretty serene these days, but yeah. I still would like the Sixers to have won. 
And yeah, there is a part of it that is a little better. <laughs> There's some part of the serenity and the not not yeah. stress. Of, I I it's weird. I've gone back and forth on Milwaukee. I've like said a bunch of times that you don't win a championship if Chris Middleton is your second best player, and I do believe that. But then I also do believe that Milwaukee was significantly better than everybody else in the East this year, and I don't think the Sixers would have beaten them. Now, the Sixers with a, a full year together, like I don't I don't know that we go into next year with the Bucks as like a significant favorite over the Sixers. Um, but I, I don't think they would have beat them and that um, that sort of eases it for me a little bit. The uh, the Kawhi thing the the Giannis thing is interesting in that it's really the the weaknesses that he has, like the obvious weaknesses, Toronto has made look easy to sort of uh, exploit. And the fact that mo- the rest of Milwaukee's guys aren't good makes it, aren't great, makes it even easier. You know, like he comes in the lane and they all just stand right in front of him, uh, basically begging them, begging him to run through him. Um, and then he's, so he's not a, a good shooter. And then he's also an okay passer. He's a fine passer, but he's not like Simmons or something like that. So, um, but I, I do think the rest of the team not being able to hit shots is really the be all end all of why. Uh, I still think they're going to win, though, and I still think they're significantly better than Toronto, but maybe I, not I, as maybe not as much better than Toronto as I thought. Maybe you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I wanted to go seven. It'd be nice. It more more time for me to get frustrated <laughs> that the Sixers yeah. aren't playing in this one. Um, but I think I there was so much talk. I mean, this is, again, this is your area, but there's so much talk about, like, Milwaukee has been a sleeping giant all year, and, and they're, we don't know what the dynasty is until it's right in front of our faces, and you know what? Maybe they're just the best team. Maybe they're just the best team, and they can actually give the Warriors trouble. No. If, if it's Milwaukee, Golden State, Golden State in four. It's just they're going to fucking blow them off the court. They, I mean, like, you're counting on Eric Bledsoe and, like, Ilyasova. Come on. And, like, Brooke Lopez is great, but, like, he's going to get roasted in the, in, on switches. Like, ah, not a chance. Not a chance. Well, I, I will be, and I will be rooting for Golden State in four. And I've been rooting <laughs> against Golden State for a long time. <laughs> and I, I will be rooting. If it's Toronto, I, I might, mm, I don't know. I'm, no, I still think Milwaukee's going to win the series, but uh, I will be, and I have nothing against Milwaukee. I love a bunch of Milwaukee Bucks fans. I like Giannis. I like Middleton. These are good. There's, I mean, it's nothing against them, but it is, it, it is me revolting against this like idea that, come on, this is actually how you build your team the right way. It's, it's one star player and a bunch of just like reasonable people. Come on, like Ma- Malcolm Brogdon's like literacy is is, is what's going to vault them to superstar potential. <laughs> Come on, give me a break. Uh, I also do want to say something else. Yeah, and I didn't run this by you. Oh boy. Um, obviously, we <laughs> banned and then unbanned Kevin O'Connor. Oh no. Um, Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer. No. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Number of Ringer podcasts, a few yep. of which I listen to. Uh-huh. Um, I like Kevin O'Connor. I'm a fan. I have an even longer history and have liked for even longer Danny Chow. And Danny Chow, member of uh, the Ritu Armageddon Congress, has, been, has written many pro-process pieces over the years for Grantland and then for The Ringer. Um, he's a big Hollis fan. 
respects Covington and Dario, number of others. When he uh, when he was an intern at Grantland, he wrote about Farewell Evan. Sure. He, uh, one of you know the, the the thing that spawned the the only tweet I've made that you've ever liked. That's right. That is now gone, by the way. So that okay, tweet, so we uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is the tweet gone? Now I'm interested. I, well, like, I have you ever messed around with one of the, like, delete all my old tweet apps? Sure, I've thought about it. But there's too yeah. much gold back there for me to delete. Just well, too, and the, pr- too much. the problem is, like, I didn't go around and pick anything. I tried not to pick anything. But you have to pay money to get yeah. rid of all of them. So yeah. some of them are there and some of them aren't. Sure. Anyway, Danny Chow. And then over the past couple weeks, Danny Chow, who is a big fan of... Food, food blogger occasionally, uh-huh. which I which I respect and appreciate, yep. and uh, has written wrote a really nice piece about Milwaukee refugees and and their relationship with Giannis as uh, and and Giannis's status as undocumented in in, in Greece, um, and then went to Toronto and, and has written a number of pieces about Toronto. But over the past couple of weeks, he's become a Raptors fan. Yeah, he did and, a and, story in Toronto and, right. uh, you know. And actively uh, rooting for yeah. the Raptors. Danny yeah. Child, Los Angeles, born and bred. Oh, my God. Has never been a particular fan of, it, of any team. Has just in, enjoyed basketball for, for the purity of it. His, one of his favorite oh. players of all time is George Hill. Oh, a, no. A, a summer league staple, Danny Child. I've seen him many years in a row at summer league. And I'm I very love, worried about where this is going. Where is this but going? But you can't. All of a sudden, turn your back on the process Sixers and just suddenly become a, an active Raptors fan. And for that, Danny Chow, the first member of Retweet Armageddon Congress, to be banned from the Ricky. <laughs> You're banning Danny Chow for liking the Raptors? Banning him. More like, I stand by it. More like Banny Chow. I, <laughs> I stand by it. I uh, obviously w- one thing you know we we don't always respect what the other person says, but I think in the term in uh, in the the banning and unbanning, I think we've done a good job of standing by uh, one another That's when right. somebody makes a decision. Uh, I'm I, I would be lying if I told you I wasn't shocked by this decision, but I am uh, I'm all for it. Uh, Danny Chow is is banned. That's right. And Kevin wow. O'Connor, we haven't asked him yet, but. We will be asking him, and he will be saying yes to coming on the Ricky to talk about the draft. So, Kevin, back, Danny, Banny. Wow. Wow. That is enormous. How have you – we might as well finish up um, finish up around the league with this Smith. We started with it. How have you felt about the Warriors um, just fucking demolishing the Trailblazers and the Rockets without Kevin Durant? Yeah, I still think the Rockets would have won that series if it was a full series without Durant. Um, mm. I, they just like didn't get there, and obviously they're hurt, they're hurting with without Nurkic. Um, they should have won one of these games against Golden State, and they obviously had a seventeen point lead in a couple of those games. Um, and but you know they were tired. They were they you know the Denver series was brutal, and they're banged up and stuff. But like. I came away from that series very unimpressed by Terry Stotts. And Terry Stotts is a guy who gets a lot of credit as, like, he's a really good coach. I, and I don't disagree, usually. But I, I thought those, all of their sets, I thought, were just so vanilla. And I just didn't see much. I didn't see them, like, passing the ball well. It was a lot of, like, 
CJ McCollum hero ball, Damian Lillard hero ball, like guys open in the corner, them not finding them quick enough, um, like just dribbling out the clock for 17 seconds and then making one like one pick and roll action with like seven seconds left in the shot clock. I came in way very unimpressed by it. And especially because Golden State was, you know, without Durant, they are somewhat vulnerable on both ends, but especially defensively, he makes up for a lot of, a lot of their, you know, they're obviously an incredible defensive team, but Durant helps that a lot and, and make, and and covers up a lot of their mistakes. Um, and I just didn't think that they did they did anything creative when like those two double teams were getting sent at either Dame or CJ, and it was a lot of like Cantor standing around. I thought Myers Leonard played well, but like still like I thought that was just him taking the occasional three when they dealt. I just didn't see much in the way of you know creativity, and so I was disappointed by that. But I I, I respect Portland for for keeping it together, running it back, and having like a B plus team for for whatever that's worth and for a fan base that seems to enjoy that. The, uh, you know, I, I think that, so the better, like I genuinely think a Golden State team uh, focused on Curry uh, rather than having Durant there is better. I, I believe that. I know people say that they're more fun. They're obviously more fun. But the, um, but the the trick of it this year is that it's harder to say that they're better because that that like allocation of minutes and like it, they didn't plan for it right like so you you're, you're mm-hmm. just taking somebody off the team right. um so i understand that it makes them more vulnerable but mm-hmm. i do truly believe that building the team around like the way that this this team was built the first two years of this run, uh, the two non-Durant years, is like if they just found a way to replace Durant with people who are just like, I mean, Harrison Barnes was a, a like that sort of guy with three and D guys or whatever, a couple of them rather than one Durant. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a, a better team. And I, I, like I don't I, necessarily disagree. I would just say going forward, Steph is getting older, and I think mm-hmm. it just it it requires them to expand so much more energy to get there to do the mm-hmm. like warriorsy fun running around that kind of stuff. I think it just takes a lot of effort. Um, they're obviously very sm- incredibly smart, like next level intelligent basketball players, Draymond especially, and and they're all very good, and they know their and like the role players know their role. But I would say. Even if even if Durant leaves and they replace him with like, you know, Brogdon level two Brogdon level guys, whatever, um, they're going to obviously be good. Maybe maybe the best team in the league or close. But I, I do still think they're vulnerable just because if you require them to do that for eighty two games and then fifteen twenty games in the playoffs, I, I think it'll it takes a toll. Um, and and those those ankles are getting older. <laughs> they are. They've they've. I mean, every time I think about the ankles, it gives me uh, gives me Joel Embiid hope, like even more hope when I think about the fact that uh, I mean, the run that Curry has put together is really fucking crazy. Like it really is. I I, I think be, because of all the noise uh, that the Durant thing has caused, it's sort of um, you know hard to have perspective on it, but. To look back on this, assuming they win the championship this year, it's a pretty pretty crazy run by him, you know, and that yeah. team. He's um, very good. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Um, we will talk about Sixers free agency in just one moment, but first, 
we're going to talk about our sponsor, SeatGeek. That's right, Mike, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the only place you need to go on your phone when you want to buy tickets to anything. Because what SeatGeek does is, like most ticket places, it's confusing. You don't know what the ticket's actually going to cost. Sometimes you got to click through two things to do it. Sometimes you're like, am I buying from a reseller? Who am I? It, like, does this place not have the tickets I want? Do they do? SeatGeek has everything. They've taken the ticket buying process and they make it easy. They take the tickets from all places and put them into one app, and then it tells you whether it's a good deal or not. Mike? I used SeatGeek earlier this week. I wanted to go see OAR at the Met. Have you, so you haven't been to the Met yet, right? In no. Philadelphia, obviously. Just opened up the Metropolitan Opera House. And um, like, it's hard to know even like what the good seats are. If you haven't been in there, you don't know what they're supposed to cost. It's a really like fancy new place. I was able to get tickets to see OAR for like 25 bucks in the Mez. And I got a, a little hint from our friend Amos Lee that the Mez sounds the best in the, uh, in the Met. And the great thing about SeatGeek is it tells you if it's a good deal or not. Uh, it uses color code. It's, and if, you, if you're colorblind, right next to the color, it says whether, whether it's a great deal or only a good deal or a fair deal or whatever. If you want to buy tickets to anything, sporting events, concerts, comedy shows, whatever, you got to use SeatGeek. They'll even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase by using our promo code that is RTRS. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code RTRS for 10 bucks off your first purchase. Once again, promo code RTRS for 10 bucks off your first purchase. Seatgeek. That's right. I bought tickets to OAR. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to let you have bro. it. I'm not even going to ask yeah. you about it. Thanks, man. Um, so the uh, the rumor started already. Mm. Keith Pompey Keith Pompey tweeted out an article and uh, with Tobias teams that are interested in Tobias Harris and all have max space. Uh, all the teams seemed pretty believable. I think it was the Kings, the Pacers. Um, shoot, where I just had it up. Um, I'll tell you in one second. The Mavericks, um, Kings, Pacers, Mavericks, and Nets, and Jazz, all interested in Tobias Harris. Mm -hmm. This is my question for you. Do you think, in your heart of hearts, for both Harris and Butler, I think, well, let's just stick with Harris. Do you think Harris is going anywhere for 40 million less dollars? than the Sixers can offer him. Like, if the Sixers offer him that full max, do you think there's any chance of him going anywhere? Any r- realistic chance? You know, I'm not sure. I, I, I mm. think, I don't know what kind of guy he is uh, yeah. when it comes to that level. I think he's definitely a person who's been traded many times. I think he's on yeah. four or five teams and, like, almost all always midseason. So I think wherever he goes, I think he would like to at least ideally play out the contract there so he just sort of can sort of like put down some roots and, and chill. Um, but I don't know. He seemed to like it here. I don't know how much he loved his role or if he thought that he could do more. Um, but, you know, I'm, not, I'm really not sure. I haven't heard much in the way of, like, whispers out of his camp. Like, he he wants to go here. He wasn't happy playing alongside this guy, whatever it was. Right. Um, I know I know Brett likes him. It's it's just frustrating. We talked about it last pod, but it's frustrating because I, I, I do think he was he fit really well here. 
And it, that would have been incredibly evident had a, a few more of his threes gone in in the regular season and in the playoffs. Well, they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's not looked, I, yeah, I, I, I guess I think there are certain people, certain level stars who take less money and certain ones that don't. And I just don't think Tobias Harris is that now to your point again I don't know him maybe playing maybe being featured more is super important to him um, but as important as it is it really is hard in two ways to turn down first of all it's hard to turn down the money but I also think on a mental level I think it's hard when someone says like when the team that wants to keep you says I want you this badly um, and I'm willing to I, I think it's an overpay even if it's right, it's like in, just in terms of his flat value, yeah, it's an overpay. For sure, uh, it's hard to say like no to that. I think in a, a lot of ways, and I think I think players get um, get caught up in that sometimes. You know, like being offered the most possible money you could be offered. I I really don't think there's any way he'd leave. I um, I do have questions about whether I think it's the right allocation of resources, but it, it gets tricky, of course, because it's not like if you don't pay him $37 million, you have $37 million. You, you don't really. I think they have, assuming that they, they pay Butler, I think they'd have like 19 and then plus the MLE. Um, so I, I just, I keep seeing a lineup that has, assuming Butler comes back and Reddick comes back, that if we had a more appropriate point guard, whether it's Beverly or Brogdon or that sort of guy, and with Ben officially not not really being a power forward per se, but that's how the the defense lines up and that's how you um, that's how the starting lineup comes out. I just think Harris seems like more of a luxury and that we're, we're never really going to be able to use what he's most good at, and he's never going to be able to get enough shots to make it worth it. And so that's my concern with, with Harris. I, I think we talked about this a little bit, but the way I look at it is like a baseball team carrying a good fourth outfielder. Like You know that eventually someone's going to get hurt. You know that it's going to happen, and you're going to need to call that guy up. And same with mm-hmm. like a, you know, a, a decent stable of pitchers in, in AAA. I, I just think there's going to be times when you miss... Embiid for a month or Jimmy pulls his hamstring and is out for a couple weeks like those kinds of things I think are just gonna happen. It's like, okay next man up here you go and I think Brett got pretty good and hopefully will get better at just sort of uh, Sort of allocating minutes here and there and 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 adjusting the rotations to be um, All right, this guy's in charge. This guy's in charge. Let's mix it up. That kind of thing. As once you know, once you have them all in in playoff situations, so I I know it's like in a perfect world, everybody's healthy. Is Tobias? Would you rather trade Tobias Harris and at like thirty five for Malcolm Brogdon at twenty? Probably, but then sometimes it's like Jimmy's dinged up, and you need a guy to go get you a bucket, and Malcolm Brogdon is not a great creator for himself, and. Um, so I, I think I'm just in a place where, and maybe there's a shade of being like, you know, pot committed sunk cost type thing Mm -hmm. of, of the guys we traded to get Jimmy and Tobias on expiring deals. But I'm just at a point where it's like, just, let's just keep the good guys. And if we have to, if it, if it gets to a point where you need to trade one, 
then you trade one in a year, two years, whatever. And if you have to attach a pick to that, then you attach a pick to that. Um, but I think letting those guys walk for nothing to me is it's it's just sort of I don't want to say it's it's cheap because I I think if you if you think it's overvaluing then then you should hold Pat. But I think going back to the well of free agency and th- assuming you can get other guys at the proper at like decent cost and, and like it adds up to being a better fit than Tobias Harris whatever I just don't know that I trust that um, the, I'd rather just keep him the the interesting thing about sunk costs is I think there's two there's two sides of it which I I, I I think you were sort of saying in that I do agree that if you think the deal is bad and going to hurt the team moving forward that you have to walk away from it, even if you traded what you traded on one hand. But on the other hand, it I think the more, and this isn't part of sunk costs, it's more just a reality of what they have. On the other hand, you do have to, uh, you have to live in the reality that because you made those trades, mm-hmm. that your ability to obtain players is diminished, both in that you don't have some of the assets that could turn into players like Shamit or or the draft picks or whatever, but you also don't have as many things to trade mm-hmm. to obtain those players. So it becomes uh, it, it truly becomes, uh, yeah, maybe you don't think it's a, a great deal, but you might not, to your point, you might not be able to do something better because of that trade in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, so let's let like I, I think we can talk about both of them because they're they're um, you know there's been a lot of people saying one or the other yeah. or both or so on and so forth with uh, with Butler, um, you know and we'll actually we'll talk about this now rather than the mailbag. Uh, our first mailbag question came from Marty, and Marty at, mentioned that the the 20, 2020 free agent class is really really bad, and. Does it make you more willing to sign these guys for two reasons? One, because there's not going to be more guys next year. But two, because if you need to trade one of them, um, it will be easier to trade them because the free agent class isn't as good next year. Yeah. I think that's true of Harris, but I think it's not true of Butler. And I think the thing about Harris is I, I find it hard to believe that First of all, Marty mentioned a, a Miami trade with Josh Richardson. Like, I love how everyone just thinks that that the Heat are, like, are just going to give away Josh Richardson, um, like a, a great, a really good player on a good contract for a good player on a like a much much worse contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why they would do that, um, but uh, it's be, um, because these guys are better. Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler are, are are better than Josh Richardson. Well, so and he might get he might he, Josh Richardson might get there, but. He's still got a long way to go. My, my thing with these two guys is I think you could get rid of Harris. I think the thing with Butler is if you want to get rid of him, he's probably going to be really hard to get rid of, if that makes any sense. Like if if they're in a situation where they're saying to themselves, I don't think – I think trading Jimmy Butler um, is the right thing to do for the team, I think that probably means that something went wrong. Either he's not performing as well because of age, he's been a problem. Like we saw his value really fluctuate even this year, you know, uh, to where the best deal that they they probably could get was Covington and Dario, which is a good deal, but probably not the haul that people would have imagined. So 
So I think yes and no. I think you can think that way with Harris. Butler, I, I just I find it hard to believe that you're going to want to trade him if his value is still high, if yeah. that makes any sense. I Does that make you. sense? I agree with you. I yeah. think that, that that's, you know, once you're playing at this level of high stakes stuff, like you look at the Wizards, um, and they decided like, well, we may as well get a jump on extending John Wall because we want to keep him happy, we love him, and we think he's going to keep doing this. And then very quickly that turned into the worst contract in the NBA. Um, right. There's a chance that that happens. I think Jimmy Butler is a better player, is a better like aging player than John Wall is and will be. Um, I think Jimmy's game like lines itself up nicely with like you know Dwayne Wade's game as an older player. Um, I don't think athleticism and just out jumping people is the only way that he can that he can get uh, points and, and get to the rim. Um, but Tobias Harris, especially like his game is. A, like ageless, basically. That, that's yeah. going to be the same game in, at 37. Um, he, and he's much younger. And he's much younger. He's, he's about to turn yeah. 27. So I think, I think with Tobias, like, I I just don't. You know, we talked about it, but I just think like these guys are good. If they want to be here and they want to run it back and they and they think that this is this core four plus Redick is capable of doing stuff, then I think you go for it. And if in two years. Jimmy's regressed and is a problem or Tobias, then it's like, okay, they got two or three years left. We can add a pick and trade it to somebody who's uh, maybe either tanking or like a, a, a non-free agent destination thing. We have to, you know, take on bad salary or, or whatever, attach a pick or attach a young player. Like it, it happens. You got to do that. But I just think Embiid and Simmons are entering their prime or soon to be entering their prime or already there, depending on how, a healthy Embiid will be for the rest of his career. And I just think, like, I don't have... I Look, this podcast was, like, built on patience, but I just don't have the patience of wasting an Embiid good, healthy year with, like, oh, we traded away, we, like, let Tobias or Jimmy walk, and then we ended up, like, the best we could get is fucking what the Kings got with, like, Costa Kofas and, and Rajon Rondo, like, that kind of thing. Right. It's just, like, I just don't... There's so many teams that have cap space. And to Marty's point... Next year's for Asian class, people are going to come come up empty. They're going to say like, okay, maybe we see if Philly wants to trade one of these guys. I think that's going to be available. Is it a risk? Absolutely, but I think it's a big a bigger risk is, you know, spoiling the majority of uh, an Embiid healthy year, and while Simmons is still underpaid, um, on assuming you can get somebody in free agency when history has shown us that like that just hasn't been the case. Yeah, they, they can talk about being a destination all they want. They, I think there's a big difference um, between a destination and somewhere that players are are happy that they are fine that they ended up there. You know, like I think the Sixers are probably more in the latter thing in that like I, I, I don't think they're going to be like a Kawhi, Durant, Kyrie, they're not going to be up in there, but I do think when players get traded here, um, I think they're happy with it once they get here. And the part of the problem is that Philly's uh, reputation precedes itself, unfortunately, a lot of times. And what kind they, of reputation? Uh, just a bad reputation. Like, like I, 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 I don't think 
look, it's not glamorous as a city, even though it's a great city once you're here. Like it's a, there's, it's a great restaurant city, as I'm sure J.J. Reddick uh, can attest to from his few visits here during the last couple of years. Um, uh, it's a, a good like uh, music and art city. Like there's um, like it's a it's a good place to live. So I think, th- I, but I don't think it's seen as that. And I think the fans like like I think once you're in it, I think it can be a lot of fun. I think Mike Scott realized that. Butler realized that um, when things are going well, it's a, it's a great place to be. And I I, I don't think. Players totally understand that until they get here. So, do you think? You know, I, was, I don't. Th- I was talking to my buddy who is a Celtics fan, who obviously Boston. You could you could hear it with like the Anthony Davis stuff has a reputation of being like a racist city. Mm-hmm. Um, Philly has obviously had some uh, level of that, maybe not to Boston's extent. But do you think that 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 that, that plays a part of it as well? Uh, no, I just I I don't think. I, I don't think the the racist perception is part of it. I do think, though, that there are – if we're just talking about, like, a young African-American millionaire, I think, like, the idea of going to Miami, New York, Los Angeles, Houston, um, like, the, the, the teams that the, – the places that come up that is a – like, a – seems like a really fun place to live – I don't think Philadelphia has that reputation. I think but that's Philly would be like if you had to make a list of one through thirty of of NBA te- of NBA city destinations, Philly would be like what, like eight or nine, like eight to yeah, 12 like, in, in that range. Yeah, I th- I think like even Atlanta as a city, I think uh, is is more attractive. But mm-hmm. I think it, just in terms of culture and the feel of it, but mm-hmm. I I think you're somewhere in that range. I think you're you're top ten. Yeah, but remember, there's two New York teams, two LA teams. Right. Um, think Golden State. So that's your. There's five there already. Um, yeah, I think top ten. I think it's top ten. Yeah, and but that, that's and tough. I think that's when, why it's when, important to have a coach that like the book on him and the word around the street is that like people like playing for him. And yeah, and that I agree helps. And if you know nobody was like dying to pay, play for like Thibodeau, like those yeah. kind of things. Like so, I think there being like some. Even if you have issues with Brett's rotations, which I, I don't think mean anything, um, there is value in like him just like being a guy that people like playing for. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I I think the uh, I think the who do they sign with their available space is sort of like a fruitless exercise because. It's a lot easier to say, I think that was good. I don't think it was good. Um, it's hard for us to judge the market. Like if you're to talk about the the Tobias Harris money and say, hey, they got Kent Bazemore on – Kent Bazemore didn't pick up his player option. They got him on 330. They got Danny Green at two for 16. Like are you – and, you know, and they got, you know, whatever guard uh, for $4 million. I'm probably real happy with that. But I, d- I don't know if any of it's realistic. So it's tough, I think, to project. Like Deadman, I, I would be happy spending the entire $9 million on, on Dwayne Deadman as an overpaid backup center, considering how important that position is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have no idea what he's going to get. I, like, I really have no idea. I think he should be a starter somewhere, but I don't, I don't have any idea what that guy's going to get. So um, what do you think the two more... Two more uh, free agency questions. What do you think Reddick gets? You mentioned years last time, but like AAV, what are you what are you thinking? Um, like around twelve. Yeah, seems like an overpay. 
Um, but it I, seems like somebody will offer him yeah. 224 definitely. For sure. You if, know? if the Sixers try to do, like, I would love a front load, that'd be nice. Um, if you do, like, a three, like, even, like, 336 or even, like, 340, eh, it's tough. But just to say, like, look, you're going to age. You can't run this much forever. But, like, you know, you look at guys that last around the league, Vince Carter, um, you know, Wade, um, Corver, still, like those kinds of guys that, that are playing into their mid to late 30s, they're, they, like, they don't get that much. And so if you tell Redick, like, look, you're here the rest of your career, three years, you get to like ease out. You'll be here for five years. You put down roots here. Uh, the fans have an interesting relationship with you. Like, it's you're our guy. Like, you last here. I think that that would. Yeah, I think he likes playing with Joe. I think he. I think him and Ben have a good relationship. I think him and Jimmy have come to like really respect each other. Um, he can like you know, they can tell like look we're gonna draft a guy that can hopefully do what Shamit did. Um, but obviously he's not going to be ready to step in right away. So hopefully over three years, like that transition happens and you can be like a very important part of us. And then you can like sort of phase yourself out as you play less and age gracefully into retirement. Like that, the, I think that, the Joe I think thing is that appeals to him. I believe the, the Joe thing is interesting in, in two ways. Uh, the first thing is, uh, yeah, I think he enjoys playing with him, but Joe has been, Incredible for Embiid's career in the same way that Chris Paul was. Like Wait, in the again? same way. You said Joe has been incredible for Embiid's career. J- Joe has been incredible for Embiid's career in a similar way that I think Chris Paul was. Wait, you still I, say like, it again? <laughs> Joe has been incredible for Embiid's career. Yes. In the same way that Chris Paul was. Joel has been incredible. Oh for no. Embiid. Oh, Reddick. 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 <laughs> Which one? I I'm sorry. I'm so tired. Um uh, uh uh, Joel has been good for Reddick's career there in the same way that Chris Paul was good okay, for Reddick's good, career. Good, good. I, I thought you couldn't hear me, not that I misspoke. <laughs> I, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I'm like, you know, there's sometimes when I can't hear you, but I figure it out. What the sure. fuck is going on yeah, here, Mike? Um, I think, like, the way that Chris Paul found Reddick, like, playing with a great point guard like that, was able to get J.J. Reddick great shots and make him, you know, went from like being a, I think, I think reasonably appreciated in Orlando and Milwaukee to really appreciated in, in at the Clippers because his numbers went up, and that that stupid dribble handoff shot um, that they that they do so well together has like, made Redick a, has has the best numbers of his career really, you know. So I think he would be wise to to stay near him if he can. You know, yeah, I don't disagree. Um, we'll get into Brian Colangelo relationship advice right after. Oh, and one more Sixers free agent that I wanted to talk about right after we talk about our final sponsor for this podcast, the Paul Green Rock Academy. Mike, do you play any instruments? I think I've asked you that before. Uh, no, I played trombone in middle school and high school. Playing an instrument, I play guitar now. I have for about a year. I played when I was a teenager too. Is uh, one of the most fulfilling things I do. Right? I love doing it. But playing with a band makes it way, way, way better. I actually got to play with the Paul Green Rock Academy band twice. They're actually much better than I am. But the Paul Green Rock School, and it is that same Paul Green, the School of Rock. Paul Green has his own has a new place again in Philly called the Paul Green Rock Academy. Um, takes and kids and adults, both of them. Uh, takes 
like lessons instead of like regular lessons takes it to the next level and teaches you how to play in a band and that's really um, it just it makes everything make sense in a way it, it, that it doesn't make sense when you don't play with other people it um, and it's fun in a way that it's not when you're not playing with other people it is coming to South Jersey as well September 2019 in Marlton there will be a master's program there which is for kids um, the prep program which is for younger kids and they will have adult band camp there as well the band camp you don't have to be really good you just have to have a lot of want to you gotta want to play they're scheduling auditions now for the master's program for the south jersey paul green rock academy www.paulgreenrock.com or info at paulgreenrock.com and of course there's the uh there's the schools in in philly as well he's done this forever he has taught people how to play in bands for a long time. It's what Paul is great at. And uh, if you want to get taught by anybody, he's definitely the guy. And, uh, the, you know, all of the, the courses come with rehearsals with your bandmates, and then you play actual shows. You play a show in front of people. It is the official music school of the process because we said it was. To join, book, find out more, paulgreenrock.com. Last um, free, free agent, I, I mean, I suppose we, we already said we wanted Mike Scott back. James Ennis opted out or is going to opt out of his player option. Um, that came out earlier this week. Mm -hmm. It seemed like he had a, a good time here. What do we think that James Ennis gets paid? I think like a 2-9. Like yeah, I was thinking 3-12. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, same. Yeah, he's the right age. I wouldn't mind giving him three years. Seems like a, you know, he's a rotation player, which we didn't have a ton of, so sure. I'd be fine with him. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of a way to... Because I don't know that... Look, I like Jonah Bolden. I think he is going to be a fine player. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's going to happen on his second contract. Um, he's obviously still got three years left in his rookie deal, but I, I don't know if, if he's going to get there or if he's going to have the time to grow and make mistakes and if Brett's going to have the patience to sort of let that happen. I think he ideally is perfect for here. I wish it was Jonah Bolden at age like 27 right now, um, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. And I'm trying to find a way to look. They could stretch John Simmons for sure, um, and pay. You said it last time like very little money for him. A couple. Yeah, three. I think it's three hundred thousand. Yeah. About three hundred thousand a year. But I think if you can try to attach Bolden to Simmons to get a guy on making like seven or eight million next year, I wonder if if you just do that and and try to and sit and say like, all right, we're not gonna. Jonah's not going to be useful here. Brett's tired of him, whatever it is. And just try to get somebody that's like, you can guarantee is going to fill a role. Like, do you go get like, I don't know, Myers Leonard from Portland for that, for that money. I've always fucking loved Myers Leonard. There's I love, I love a podcast the, evidence of it. He's, he's playing great. Hitting threes, doing yeah. his thing. Why not? Yeah. Um, great or, shoulders. Or like, uh, yeah. what was I looking at before? Um, or like, I, 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 they probably don't do this, but I would love to try to get like uh, Bogdanovich out of uh, Sacramento, and like maybe toss oh, like, no a, a second rounder in there or something like that. But probably not. He's yeah. very he's very good. Um, not for Jonah Bolton. Yeah, I but I this that kind of that kind of calculus of like all right, a two for one trade, where we can then you know promote more cheap guys like your shakes, like your uh, Haywood Highsmith type thing. And then get a, pick up a valuable like veteran player that Brett can be comfortable with. Yeah, look, if if somebody thinks Jonah Bolden is valuable, I would be all for that too. I I don't think, to your point, like he is, 
he is four years late mm-hmm. or three years late to get enough time here to maybe become whatever he can be, I, I think. That would be my guess, yeah. but I don't know. What about Bolden and Simmons for each one more? Sure, but I don't think that that happens. I kind of think they do that. It's New Orleans. They're, they're, they're developing. Right. And they trade each one more to the Clippers? No. Who did they trade to the Clippers? Who am I thinking? Oh, who did Memphis trade to the Clippers that Garrett I'm thinking Temple. of? Garrett Temple, yeah. right. Um, I, I guess. I don't know. I, do you get can, one more, actually, league question now that you, you brought up the Pelicans? I, I think it's pretty hilarious that in sometimes just not working can make your, your legend grow. And somehow David Griffin has yeah. become like like just this fucking, you know, the, the royalty yeah. of NBA front offices. Absolutely. Um, but I do have a little bit of jealousy in that they hired a president of basketball operations and like who hired a general manager and they're going to have like this whole new staff and this whole and we like I love Elton and I'm glad that Elton is here but I feel like we missed out on that when Brian went away and like the the excitement of like this new front office with this vision and all that kind of stuff it I got a little bit of like jealousy just in in all of that I David Griffin, like, it's hard to judge what he did when he was with Cleveland mm-hmm. because of the LeBron thing, because it, it, it basically forces you to make bad value deals over and over and over again. Um, but I, I was a little bit jealous. It does seem like a little bit fun what's going on there now. Yeah, I mean, we've we've touched on the Elton and the Sixers ownership keeping Colangelo's staff. Yeah. and I think it's crazy. We've Even t- if they're we good. Ta- they're tell good. me, yeah. let me just yeah. pose this. Like, We've yeah. talked a lot about continuity in a coaching staff and specifically Brett being here and, and having a level of like, this is what the culture is, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that that like, should also apply to the front office in the sense of like, look, we liked all these guys. They liked Colangelo for reasons unknown, but the, the people that are around Colangelo have, have a lot of respect around the league and have, and have been doing this a long time. And if they were working well together... Like once you install a new general manager, like then that throws a lot of chaos kind of everywhere, and the scouting department would get up like uprooted. Maybe they want to install their new coach, and then a new coaching staff, and it just becomes this like you know season or two long like turnover, where you know we're wasting again time that Embiid is healthy and and playing, and so as much as like I didn't like what Colangelo did here, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, you were always against it. I was like, he hasn't fucked up. And then you sort of look back and you're like, man, a couple would have been nice if a couple of those moves panned out. Um, well, how about the first pick in the second round this year? We traded for Trevor Booker. Yeah, that wasn't great. We were so happy to get rid of Oka for that. I don't even think we yeah. registered. Um, but we still do have 33 and 34. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I I, I think it, I think to, to some extent, continuity is good if everybody has a nice working relationship. I don't know that they do, especially with all the rumors of Brett Brown getting starting maybe to get pushed out or being on the on the clock and them installing a new guy that they know and like whatever. Um, but it is something I, I've been thinking about. Like it's it was crazy at the time. The entire Colangelo hiring and fr- firing process was absolutely bonkers. Um, but as it far was as like so crazy, we have the the current organizational structure seems like pretty fine 
like a coach that is empowered, but like only the coach. And then Elton, who has a good relationship with Brett, and Elton's guys who have, you know, know around the, around the league and they, they've been around. And it's like, it feels like the right level of like fresh ideas and like some establishment, like historical, like learning and institutional memory. Um, so I don't know. I don't think they're the best. The, it's the best coaching staff front office in, in the, in the league. It's certainly not the best ownership, but, um, I think it's like, everything seems to be, I, you know, why isn't like coaching staff and front office like that? I feel like they should be part of the run it back. Like I, hi, I, uh, the sort I, of I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree more actually <laughs> on the front office thing. I, I for a couple of reasons, okay. I I understand as a as a as a thought experiment. Sure. I I'm fine thinking it out, yeah. but for a few reasons. First of all, continuity. Like I want continuity with the coaching staff because I think he did a good job, not because he's been there. And like, let's not forget that the Brian Colangelo era people who worked for him were also there for all of those bad decisions. Um, on top of that. I, I find it hard to believe, and I know this sounds very petty, but like what Brian Colangelo did was the pettiest shit in the history of fucking things, um, that they could still have a good relationship with him and that they're, like he could be poison. And like, let's not forget that there was a, a report by Tom Haberstroh, who is a real reporter, that not only was Brett Brown, um, you know, uh, on the hot, uh, like, like on the hot seat, but like Elton Brand could be too. And I just do not believe that all these guys went for the general manager spot and Elton got it. And they're all like, ah, good for him. Cool. We'll work under that guy. Like, I, I just don't believe it. I, I don't believe that, that those guys who are all more experienced than him all applied for the job, which Elton confirmed that they did and that he got it and that they're all fine. And there's no power play bullshit going on. I just think that to have a real front office, there has to be real structure and there's too much ambiguity here and there's too much connection to a bad era. Um, yeah. But it is what it is. I'm going to be here, but yeah. Just um, thinking it out. Just thinking it out yeah. if the continuity no, extend, extends all yeah. the way. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to the Brian Colangelo, uh, no, the Lorenzo Brown mailbag, we have some good mailbag questions. Let's do a Brian Colangelo relationship advice. I keep my heart under my pillow with my teeth and other lies. I've been waiting on your halo just to shine the light. Just to shine. Music, obviously, by Eliza Hardy-Jones, who also sang Imagine the Process at the Lottery Party. Uh, this one comes from Covington's future roommate. Dear Spike and Mike, I went on Fly the Process to Minnesota trip. On the Sunday after the hallway pod, me and my, bu my buddy got sick and was out of commission all day. Eventually, I hopped on Tinder in hopes of spreading the gospel of hinky throughout the Midwest. I matched with a girl way, way, way out of my league. We talked for a disconcertingly brief amount of time before she agreed to go out for drinks and a Juicy Lucy at Matt's bar. I was fully prepared for a catfish situation, but she actually showed up. 
The night went really well, and somehow she actually invited me back to her place. At this point, I'm thinking I'm going to be sacrificed in some sort of ritual, but I ended up spending the night. Fun little fly the process one night stand, right? Wow. Well, I, well it, it keeps. Wait a minute. That is that alone is crazy to me. Well, I just booked my flight out there for next month after she came and visited Philly for four days this past weekend. I don't know how we got here. I just wanted to watch basketball with my cult friends, man. A long-distance relationship is not something either of us want to do. Her career has her planted in Minnesota for the foreseeable future. Mine is somewhat flexible. Assuming it continues to go well, how long do you think it is reasonable before I risk it all and move to Minnesota for this girl? Wow. <laughs> all right, so I know exactly when the relationship started. End of March. Um, yep. I think you could give it another couple months if it's going well. Test it out. If you are young and your job situation is flexible, as I've said before during this segment, the only reason that we're here is for love. Fucking go for it. That would be my opinion. And is it selfish is- of us to, to want that to happen after meeting on Fly the Process? <laughs> Absolutely not. It is, totally. it is totally pure. Our, yeah. uh, we have no ulterior motives. I think it's great. I think it's great. And uh, I would say move to Minnesota before the winter. So you have yeah. a couple good months before yep. before you uh, regret it. But, uh, yeah, why not? What a lovely story. Look, I, I, I'm a big fan of the Midwest. I've mentioned that a lot. Minnesota does get very cold, but I like Minnesota as a city. I, I like, yeah, I've mentioned I lived in Chicago. Uh, and here's some, first of all, go for it. Again, if you're young and your job is flexible, how, how long? A few months, I would say. A couple more visits. Um because you don't want to freak her out right. either, you know? Like, you want her to want you to move there, yeah. too. And that conversation will kind of happen naturally. After, like, yeah, I think so. between, like, three and six months, that conversation will happen naturally. So I think, you know, you get to, like, July, August, and you're, having, and you're starting to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and here's the other good news, is that people, including girls, are much nicer in the Midwest than they are in the Northeast. It's just a fact. It's very true. So if this doesn't work out and you happen to like Minneapolis, look, you have a city full of Midwest girls who are nicer than Northeast girls. No offense, Northeast girls. I think you're great. But Midwest people are just generally nicer. I think it will be easier for you to find a relationship in the Midwest as well. So congratulations. We obviously demand A, to um, to hear what happens, and then B, to be invited to the wedding. Absolutely. So, yeah. Time for the Lorenzo Brown mailbag. This one comes from Dylan. Hey, Spike and Mike. I'm a Sixers fan who moved from the Philadelphia area to Portland, Oregon earlier this year. Given the Blazers' success, I got to see firsthand how Blazers fans act and how truthfully annoying they can be. My question is what NBA fan bases do you find most unbearable and what arenas around the league have you been to? Um, I think... Most fan bases are unbearable, including ours. For sure, I think ours. From the I think ours is the yeah. funniest. Yes. Um, I just don't think that there's like, you know, you're on, you're on basketball Twitter and you see like, okay, these are what Nuggets fans talk about, and you're like, okay, that's what that's the best. That's the best they can do. All right, great. And then it's like, you know, there's a couple of funny Wolves fans, and like, you know, I think the Kings have a good self-aware fan base and I th- uh, like Houston's is for the most part middling and like 
But I think it's a, a level of self-awareness is important rather than like, what a fun win. Like those kinds of, I don't know. I, so, I, so I think there's, I think the, the, the enjoyable like self-aware fan bases, I would say, are, are ours. I would say Sacramento. I would probably say, I would probably include the upper echelon of, of Boston in there and New York for sure. Um, but they all are also unbearable. There are, which is part of it. I think Celtics and Lakers fans, most specifically Kobe people, are the most embarrassing uh, and the most annoying. Sure. Uh, like, and thing, there's funny things about both of them, and I, I've made the joke about Celtics fans wearing basketball jerseys with no T-shirt underneath to games, and they all have, like, you know, uh, Gaelic tattoos. And, right. I guess I'm thinking like, people like that write about it on the Internet more than right, just the right, regular right. fans at the stadium. The, the funny thing about Lakers fans is that when they come to Sixers, Lakers fans are fully fucking decked out. Like, Lakers fans are full tracksuit, um, Lakers sunglasses, Lakers sneakers. Um, yeah, I I agree. I think most fan bases are unbearable. I don't know that I like... Oh, and I, I do think the Thunder fan base is pretty annoying. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, NBA arenas, I've been to MSG. I've been to Brooklyn, D.C., Phoenix. Um, I saw a Clippers game at the Pond at Anaheim. Um, Staples. Uh, Milwaukee, obviously. I've been to Chicago. Yeah, I haven't been to that. Said about a third. I've been to. I've been to very no. few. MSG, hmm. obviously Philly, Phoenix, Staples. That might be it. Hmm. Um, next one. Um, this comes from Eric. First question. Is there anything Brian Colangelo could do to make amends with the Ricky? And two, help me talk to women, please. Uh, also, I've been to the Oracle. Um, Brian Colangelo could come on the podcast. And if he gave us the first exclusive interview about it, we would be respectful, but uh, give the people what they want, which is questions about just what the fuck was going through your head and how many times you had to run your wife over with a bus. <laughs> I, well, I think you pretty much assured us that we're not getting that interview. I don't think we were in the running anyway. I never that's, know. That's, that's all he could do. Or, or I think if he were to make his own Twitter and admit that we were right and he was wrong or something in, in that sort of way, but that's it. Come on the pod or admit how badly you fucked up. That's about it. It's going to uh, be Players Tribune or like a Mark Stein oh, piece. Oh, God. Something. General Manager's Tribune? Yeah. Who starts that? I'm, what former GM starts GM Tribune? Del Dems. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying for the Colangelo redemption story. Oh, my God. what's coming? You, it's, you know it's I'm coming. surprised it's taken this long, honestly. Um, Danny Ferry has been, you know, like inching back into like official hiring capacity rumors and stuff. Man, Colangelo, you feel... I feel... I would say I feel 10% bad for him. Is that mm -hmm. reasonable? I think that's fine. He's a human. And, and like, I, uh, five, maybe 5%. Okay. But, yeah, I think it's, it's fair. Because it's not, I think, feel. like, there are a bunch of people that every time Zach Lowe talks about it, it's like, oh, I feel so bad for him. Like, oh, terrible. It's like he brought it upon himself. Yeah. And he's also, like, a dick. And also, 
is fucking rich as hell. He's like a legacy family. He's got all the money in the world. He's fine. He's fine. But 10%, I do feel bad. Quick Zach Lowe question. So he wrote this article the other day about game four of Raptors Bucks. Okay. And it, it was no less than 3,000 words. What percentage, how many people do you think read the entirety of any one Zach Lowe article? I would say like a third. Oh, no way it's that high. I do. No I, think it, I think it's a third. I feel pretty confident that it's, that it's a third. No way. I, I do. I, I, I look at web metrics all the time. Like the average time on any page is like a minute for anything. Sure. There's and just no way. People it's like click on it and see how long it is and just bail. I think that's 50%. Yeah. I think it's a, th- a third of the people that read all the way through because they're obsessed. I think like maybe like 10 to 20% who uh, get halfway through and just like, I get it. And then that's and then like half of it, they <laughs> click and read like the first paragraph and they're like, no, thanks. Yeah, I was I was reading it. I uh, I was eating. I had to eat dinner by myself yesterday. I was eating it, and I'm like, oh, I'll read this. And I got I got to like the first video. It was like halfway through it. Uh, maybe it was a third of the way through it. And I was like, oh, how much more is there? Oh, fuck you. No way. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> I just closed it. Um, help them talk to women, dude. Just just I don't even know what to say. Uh, but this is what I would always tell myself when, when it turned, when I stopped being scared, is always tell yourself what is the worst that could happen. The worst that could happen is you get rejected, which isn't really that bad. So that would be my advice on how to talk to, how to, talk to women. You know I'm the respect women guy. So yep. That's me. Well, was it the, you, the defend can, women guy. Which one was it? Be respectful. I'm not saying to be disrespectful. No, but I'm you called me at some point. You called me the defend women guy or the respect. Oh, guy. right, right, right. This is uh, from Dennis. This question started gnawing at me since a game in versus Detroit in the fall, when JoJo renewed his lease on Andre Drummond's gray matter, dominating him and racking up early fouls. Then he plowed right through Zaza Pachulia's first couple of fouls, and I thought, okay, we're going to see how deep their big man bench is. And neither, I believe, fouled out, despite him, despite both having early foul trouble. I kept watch on this throughout the year, and it seemed like the 76ers never targeted players in foul trouble for ISOs. Is it just me, or is anyone else out there flummoxed by the 76ers? or seemingly unwillingness or inability to get guys and foul get guys to foul out against them the advanced stat guys back up this eye test observation so i this is something that i've thought about a lot and and i think raised a lot in i love targeting a guy that's got foul trouble and making him defend and i i don't know that it's just the sixers i think it's a lot of teams but i would definitely like the sixers to do it more um i also think especially when it's a good player in foul trouble the refs are cognizant of that and make a concerted effort to not call fouls as best they can. Um, I was begging them to get Kawhi in foul trouble all series, and that never even came close. Um, but I absolutely think, especially especially Embiid, especially Butler, guys that can draw fouls, I think they should try to seek switches and and make them pay more often. I think that's absolutely in a playoff series. That, that really makes a difference. You know, if you have to dig, go to your eighth guy because your one of your best players is in foul trouble like that that totally changes the com- complexity of the game well i mean just look at the first half of that i think it was game six rockets uh warriors when steph was in foul trouble didn't score in the first half you know i mean that it can be a an enormous difference now obviously it didn't work out in the second half they should have kept doing whatever they were doing um i love this question this i have time for two more uh, this one comes from dan 
hi, guys. Andrew segments, Underberger, always end really awkwardly, or he just hangs up when you cut, or, or you cut him off. I think he needs to have a thing he says at the end. Oh. I can't remember what the official name of AU's Corner is, but maybe it should have something to do with that. Cheers. I think this is a wonderful idea that AU has to have a catchphrase like thing that he does at the end of his segment. Okay. We'll start an email thread with him and, 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 and pitch on it. Yeah, and we uh, also, if you have any suggestions, feel free to uh, to send them in. And then final one, this is from Leo. Uh, he actually writes in the email. This is from Leo. Truly. Do you think the Sixers can go to the finals next season with Ben a point guard, or do they need to move him to power forward and sign a more traditional point guard? Love the pod. Um, let's whittle this question down to did the— would the Sixers be better off if they played Ben with a more traditional point guard? Um, I'm not. And, I'm, and get away the, the, from the power forward word. Yeah, or I, whatever. Position, yeah, positionality is something that just like doesn't resonate with me anymore. Like I just don't think you need it. I don't think it really matters. Who can you cover? Ben is a really, really good at covering point guards, um, and can and is very versatile and can switch over. So, especially in the playoffs, Ben and Jimmy like turned it on. Would I like to have somebody? that can like off the bench that can guard point guards more. Absolutely. But I'd like to have a couple more guys that can just basically like Jeff Teague and shoot threes like off the catch and occasionally attack closeout, that kind of thing. I don't necessarily need, need to get like, we need to get Shabazz Napier so we can run like pick and roll and play traditional stuff. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I want to just keep mixing it up and have enough personnel to do it. I, I, I think Ben and shake can play together. And, and Ben can be the role man in the shake pick and roll and, and see, see what that looks like. Um, I think shake has developed off the dribble as the season went on. And I would like that to continue and for him to get time doing that. It'd be nice to have a guy like, you know, Pat Beverly or even Garrett Temple, who's more of an off ball guy, obviously Malcolm Brogdon, who is like sort of the perfect off ball point guard next to Ben. Um, those kinds of guys, would whoever be, the new Mario Chalmers is. Sure. Those kinds of guys would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know what, Mary Chalmers, he's available. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I think what it would do is, in addition to, I, I would like that, you know. Um, and none of this precludes um, Simmons from, you know, the shot thing. Yeah. So let's take that out. And, you know? a, but and, a, and attacking I, off the dribble in transition. Right. That kind of thing. But, but I think having the point guard there allows them to mix their lineups more. And they, they, they didn't have somebody who was able to do that, um, who was able to be more of a regular point guard, but then also not be so ball dominant. Like when people mentioned Kemba Walker with this team, I was like, what are you, like crazy? You know, I, that, that guy is so high usage. He's a good player, but, um, you know, I, I would like if they had a guy like that. And I, um, you know, I think center, I think backup center is probably a bigger need, but uh, I think right behind it is that sort of a guy. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look use. at Houston, and, and they, over the, from season to season, they let a couple guys go, Ariza, Bamute, and they tried to fill the gaps with a handful of other guys, and they just, like, some of them didn't work. And, and obviously, we got Ennis, and he was, and he was helpful here, but he, he wasn't as good there. Um and so I think there's just got to the, the Sixers are going to have to find diamonds in the rough. Like there were the Sixers had, had a lot of money tied up and a, a lot of positions tied up in Amir Johnson, Greg Monroe and 
before that, Justin Patton and Boban. And so odds are none of those guys are going to be back. They can get less centers that can't play in the playoffs, fewer centers, and a couple of point guards, a couple of like, you know, six, seven guys that can switch. Like you can try guys out. Let's mix up with 10 days, see if anybody sticks. Oh, so this guy works. Sign him for the rest of the season. Like they, I know that's a process era thing, but man, there are like, there are guys yeah, the Rockets, in the G League the Rockets that did can it help. Too. Like yeah. it doesn't, you, the Sixers have all the stars. They don't need to go, go in the second round or the, in the G League or, or to, you know, the uh, Adriatic League to try to find stars. Like they just need guys that can help and defend their position and hit shots and like all that stuff. And so, I think that's what they're going to be looking for, and, and that's what, what is going to have to separate this organization from the other ones that are competing is, is, is finally working the margins and, and, and getting playable guys in a you know affordable salary style. Uh, well, and you, you mentioned the centers. Like, once you decide you're not picking up Furkan Korkmaz's option and you think he stinks, then like, cycle through guys. Yeah. Until you find a guy that maybe you, um, you know, maybe you think is worth playing sure. in in the playoffs, I, I think they could have done that with a lot of spots this year. And, and so. I know that there's some level of like, all right, we've we've had multiple earth-shattering uh, trades over the course of this season, so we don't want to just like shake it up more. Korkmaz is our twelfth guy. Occasionally, he can come in and maybe he gets hot and we play him more. But at least having a guy who like understands the like language we use here, um, and and the plays we run, and not having to explain everything like back to like you know, page one. I get that, but ne- hopefully it is a next season is a run it back style thing, and there should be many quiet tournaments going on all the time. Um, with obviously you're gonna have guys like Zaire and Shake and maybe Bolden and those kinds of guys that are on rookie deals that you want to cycle through, get them time in the D League, bring them up, all that stuff. But the guys are on one-year deals, like one-year veterans minimum stuff. If they're not working, like get them out. Like let's find guys that can figure it out. Let's and hopefully you find somebody that's like, oh, this guy all of a sudden is hugely helpful. That need that needs to happen. They can't be precious about it. I agree. All right, that's all the time we got. Boy, our podcasts are much longer in the off season than they are in the regular season. On Saturday, we will have we ha- we will have somebody on the pod who we have not had on the pod in a very long time. It's been at least a couple of years, I think, hmm. uh, and it's not KOC. So, um, and it's also not somebody who's really all that famous. But if you like this podcast, you'll enjoy the guest. Wow. So, we we will talk to you this weekend. Um, and then in the coming weeks, obviously, draft stuff. And KOC doesn't know it, but we'll have him on there. And, of course, He'll say yes. boards He's a sweet coming boy. as well. Danny yeah. Chow. Come on, Danny KOC. Chow. Yep. And Danny Chow is banned. Are you down with TTP? Yeah, you know, look face. We are the murderous pair. That with the jail and we murdered the murderers there. Then with the hell and discovered the devil delivered some hurt and despair. Used to have powder to push. Now I smoke powder to push. Holy, I'm burning the bush. Now I give a fuck about none of this shit. Two runner over and out of this bitch. Step into the spotlight. Copying of uppers and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile.